Well, hi, everybody. My name is Clayton Keenan. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Christ Community Church. And we're in the last week of our series, Elephants, The Questions We Can't Ignore. And I got one final elephant idiom for you. We're talking about elephant ears. How many of you wish you had elephant ears right now? Now, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the best part of the county fair, those big pieces of fried dough covered in cinnamon and sugar. They're amazing, aren't they? Most likely, the recipe that you find at the carnival comes from an old Navajo flatbread dish from the 1800s. Fun fact, elephant ears don't just taste good, they're also good for you. Actually, that's not true at all. They have no nutritional value whatsoever. Each one takes like a week off of your life. But who's thinking about that when you catch the aroma of that sweet, crispy goodness? Enough talk about it. Let's actually eat some. We've got Dolores Dowling with us today who runs the Cup of Joy at our St. Charles campus and she's gonna teach us how to make elephant ears. Let's go. Well, Dolores, thanks so much for being willing to show me how to make elephant ears. How do we get started? First of all, we're gonna get a small saucepan and we're gonna add one and a half cups of milk. Okay. We're gonna add those. And then you're gonna add one teaspoon of salt, and then you're gonna add two tablespoons of white sugar. Okay. And then you're gonna add three-eighths of a cup of shortening. And we're gonna put in two tablespoons of yeast and okay. let it foam. And once the yeast starts to foam, we're gonna add in four cups of flour. We got that here. And then we're gonna make it into a bowl. Okay. And let it rise for 30 minutes. We've already done that, so we've got one prepared. So yes, we, can we use do. That, so we can pull yes. that out. Okay, so this is the dough we prepared earlier, and Clayton's gonna take this dough, cut it, cut it into four sections. All right, should I just? You can empty it out on there. Oh, Clayton, gloves. What? Gloves. Oh. I washed my hands. I promise. And then you're gonna yeah. roll out that part. All right, here we go. All right, so. And then we're gonna put it in the grease that's oh, at 375 man. degrees. Okay. And we're gonna fry up some elephant ears. I won't splash this one. You almost did. I, yeah, a little bit. But that's okay, it's cooking. It's sizzling. It's, yes, and it's That's bubbly. looking good. Then How long does it take? It doesn't take but a couple of minutes, and it'll right. be all done. When it starts Ooh. to bubble, we flip it, Ooh. and then, see? It's really good. I'm excited about nice. this. Me too. I can hear it. Snap, crackle, pop. Yes, it is the best. And see the bubbles that is getting in it? And it looks like a big elephant ear to me. Oh, uh, that is right, here great. We go. That looks so good. we're going to mix the cinnamon and the sugar together. And Clayton is going to give it a little stir, and he's going to sprinkle it on all this right, elephant ear. here we go. This looks oh, really so, yummy. It's gonna be so good. Should I just sprinkle it? Just sprinkle it on the elephant ear. Like with, with my gloved hands here? Yes. Oh, that's so good. Oh, I'm so excited. It's probably all gonna just fall off all over me. So you wanna try it? Yes, all let's right. try it. Oh, this, this is good. Is so good. This is fantastic. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Delores, for showing us how to make the elephant ears. You're welcome. We've got a guest speaker for you today, and I hope that you're going to be all ears for her. Her name is Michelle Tepper, and she's from the Ravi Zacharias International Ministries and the Oxford Center for Christian Apologetics. Let's give her a warm welcome as she comes to the stage. 
good morning, Christ Community Church, and good morning in all of the different campuses at DeKalb, Streamwood Bartlett, and Blackberry Creek. It is my joy and pleasure to be with you this morning. The only thing I have to say about that elephant ear video, especially at the 11 o'clock service, that's almost not fair, right? It is too close to lunch to show stuff like that before the sermon. We are going to jump into this last big elephant in the room that we've been going through as a church here. How can there be only one way to God? You ever wondered that before? Or perhaps you're like, nope, no problem. Maybe a friend of yours, a coworker, a relative have said, you know, I like Jesus. I like the Christianity, but I just don't think I can do that one way thing. What is it that bothers us so much about this claim? Well, the first thing I want to put out there is that possibly in our modern culture, especially in America, one way just kind of doesn't make sense. We like our options. We are the culture of FOMO, fear of missing out. You punch in the destination on your GPS and it gives you the option of three different routes depending on tolls or minutes or mileage that it will take. In some ways, this one way just doesn't compute with our everyday life. My husband and I only recently moved back to the United States from England. I used to say when people asked me in the UK, what do you miss the most about the States? I would say variety. I miss the fact that stores were open past 5 p.m. at night. There was lots of different stores you could go to. We didn't have Walmart. You could get everything you ever wanted in the world in one location. You had mustard, ketchup, or brown sauce. That was the only toppings you could have on your burgers or fries there. It was a little bit simpler. Fast forward to now, and my husband is terrified to let me go to the grocery store. He's like, don't get lost. I will just stand there sometimes for hours with a shopping list of three because I can't decide between the 65 different types of mustard that we have in one aisle. How could there be only one way? There's lots of different options in life. It's really easy to apply this way of thinking and this way of living to religion when we ask this question. Or maybe that's not your issue. Maybe you just think, well, isn't Christianity in this claim a little bit exclusive? Or isn't it kind of arrogant for the Christian to claim that not only do we have the only way, but ours is the only right way? How can we say that today? Isn't that a little bit politically incorrect? Or maybe you just wrestle with the fact that it doesn't quite seem fair. What about everyone who hasn't heard? What about people who didn't grow up listening to sermons, coming to amazing campuses like this. And with the rest of our time this morning, I want to dig into some of these main assumptions that we have or our world has when they hear Jesus claim in John chapter 14, verses 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And as we kick off digging into this, I really believe that some of our biggest struggles with Jesus' claims comes from the popular assumption that we have today that most, if not all, religions are superficially different but fundamentally the same. This assumption that Christianity is the only or the most exclusive religion comes from a type of superficial similarity that we have bought into in our culture that goes something like the poem by the British journalist Steve Toner who said, we believe that all religions are basically the same, at least the one that we read was. They, only be, believe, they all believe in love and goodness, and they only differ on matters of creation, sin, heaven, hell, God, and salvation. 
And you know what? We laugh, but really that's our modern culture's Wikipedia take on religion. The idea that all religions are basically the same, forget the fact most of us haven't looked into many other religions when we say that, is maybe a nice theory. But if you line up even just a few of the major world religions, we find that exactly the opposite is true. They are actually superficially the same, but fundamentally very, very different. And as we wrestle with this, it begins to pick away at that first assumption that Christianity is the only or the most exclusive religion. You see, we need to go through some contrast and clarity of very different views. When we contrast different religions, when we contrast different worldviews, that just means the way through which you see the world. I'm going to use that term worldview and religion both together because some people might say, well, I have no religion. That's not my take. Well, even if you believe that there is no God, in a sense, it's a faith. You're having a faith, you're believing, you're trusting that there is no God. Unless we contrast different views, we can't really clearly understand them. Differences must be recognized, not minimized, for understanding and respect. Every single world religion, every single worldview, even if it is a non-religious one, is born or has been born from some type of exclusion. If you say even a difference in name between Buddhism, Hinduism, uh, Christianity, Islam, Judaism, just to be able to give different classifications, you are excluding some things from the other. And it's this really uh, intense fear of exclusion that we feel within our culture, that fear of being deemed as intolerant, which actually has led to, I believe, a death of diversity in our culture. You see, when we give in to the fear of exclusion and we're afraid to point out or to look at or even to recognize differences in religion or anything else in our culture, it will always lead to either the silencing of ourselves, we will stay silent and go, okay, we're all the same because we don't want to be excluded from everybody else, or we will try to silence others that are different from us so that we will not be excluded. Fear of exclusion always leads to either the silencing of ourselves so that we will not be excluded, or we will forcefully try to silence others to try to keep them from excluding us. So I wonder, as we've already prayed and thought about these tragic events that have happened in our nation, even in this week, if that isn't some of the root of it, we've been so afraid to say, there's differences. It's okay. Let's not ignore them. Let's talk about them. Let's wrestle with them. Let's respect them. Let's celebrate them. Let's talk about where we disagree, that the silencing has led to an uprising of people going, no, I want you to respect that I'm different. I want to talk about it. I want to feel the difference. I want to wrestle together. To fully understand and respect each other, we must be willing to explore, name, and compare our differences and disagreements, not minimize them or intentionally avoid them. Dr. Ravi Zacharias put it this way, speaking about the different religions. At the heart of every religion is an uncompromising commitment to a particular way of defining who God is or is not, and accordingly of defining our life's purpose. What does he mean by that? Well, really, it's actually a little bit silly, I would argue today, and a bit careless to say that all paths lead to God. If you take a look at 
even just the four most popular world religions, you'll find that they disagree on whether the God that they lead to is one God, if you're a Muslim, one God in three persons, or the Trinity, if you're a Christian, many gods numbering up to possibly 330 million if you're a Hindu, or no God at all if you're a Buddhist. And then that doesn't even take into consideration the character of that God that that religion has just described or whether that God is personal or not, whether he can even or want to communicate with the people that are trying to get to know him. You see, the popular modern sweeping statement that all religions are the same and they point to the same thing is actually a very arrogant assumption and an arrogant position to take on different religions, and one that modern culture has used to reject Jesus Christ's claims on the ground of it being arrogant while standing, committing the same crime that they're judging Jesus for. Does that make sense? Our modern culture has said, I could never believe in Jesus. He says he's the only way. That's so arrogant. All religions are the same. They all lead to the same path. They're arrogantly saying, I could not be a Christian because Christianity's claim is too arrogant. What does Jesus actually mean when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life? No one comes to the Father but by me. If we've already said, okay, well, maybe all religions and all differences are born from exclusions. Maybe I'll give you the point that Christianity isn't the only exclusive religion. But still, how is that claim not one of arrogance? What does Jesus mean when he makes this claim? When he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can get to God except through me. He's making a huge claim about himself. And when he claims that he is the only way, he is saying something about himself that makes the message of Christianity fundamentally different from every other religion or any other worldview that ever has been or ever will be. What do I mean by that? You see, you could theoretically take the founder out of every other religion that there is out there and remain with the same exact religion completely intact. Let's do a little thought experiment. If you were to take Muhammad, who got all of the revelations about Allah, out of Islam, you would still be left intact with the same religious structure. If you were to take Buddha out of Buddhism, you would still be left with no problem with the steps to enlightenment. You cannot take Jesus Christ out of Christianity. Why? Because all other religions point to someone or something. They talk about a way of thinking that will get you to God. They talk about experience that you can have that will get you to enlightenment. They talk about steps that will get you to paradise. Christianity doesn't talk about just a different way of thinking or a different way of feeling or a different set of rules. It is about the being of God himself coming to us. Jesus says, I'm the only way because all of the other ways are pointing to God. Jesus says, guess what? I'm the only way because I am God and God has come to us. 
He's making a statement that changes the ball game. He gives us good news about God. And the good news is that not only is there a God, but he has come. And this is where the Christian's confidence comes from. We don't say, hey, we are in the holy club. We know we have the only way because we're better and we found a better way to get to God than your way. No, we say we couldn't find a way to God. We were lost in our sins. We couldn't change the way we thought. We couldn't have enough spiritual experiences that would keep us enlightened. We couldn't change the way we were living. God, the Savior, came down to us and saved us. And that has changed everything. And I thought about it a bit. And it reminds me of what happened to me and my husband this Christmas when I began to think maybe Jesus' claim isn't arrogant. Maybe we even see it in everyday life. You see, I realized that a lot of my colleagues at work were friends with Peter on Facebook. I talk about him all the time. Often, as I'm doing today, I will tell stories about him in my talks. And so it was really easy for me to just assume that everybody that I worked with knew Peter. Well, what happened? We went, this is my husband Peter and my daughter Sophia, we went to our Christmas party. And about halfway through the night, I realized, because my husband went, why aren't you introducing me to anybody? Or my friends were going, hi, um, I work with Michelle. What's your name? I haven't met you before. And I'm going, what? I'm not normally this rude. I had forgotten that just because my friends were friends with him on Facebook, just because they had heard countless stories about him from me, just because they might have even listened to some of his teachings, he's a pastor in Central Florida, online, was not the same as knowing Peter. It was completely right, not arrogant of Peter to go, well, guess what? I I'm glad you heard so much about me, and I'm, I'm glad you recognize me, and you might even know my name, but you don't actually know me. Because the only way of getting to know Peter is what? To say hi to him personally, to shake his hand, for him to introduce himself, for them to introduce themselves to him. This is a bit like the claim of Jesus Christ. It's not arrogant to say, I'm the only way to God if he is God himself. He says, I'm the truth about this claim to God. And then he goes and says, you can investigate it. And that's what I love about the Christian faith as well. Because sometimes when I'm talking about this on Christian campuses, or one time a, a student from Iraq came up to me and went, who cares if Jesus claimed that he was the truth? You know, lots of different God's out there, lots of different religions say and make the same claims that they were God or they have the truth. What makes the claim? Have you ever thought of that? What makes the claim of Jesus Christ that he is the true way to God different from every other religion? Well, it's a claim that as a Christian we're confident in. Why? Because it's a claim that we can and must investigate. And I want to ask you this morning, have you ever investigated the evidence about the existence of God? Are you a Christian today because you've looked at and wrestled with the claims of Jesus Christ and said, I have come to believe that he is the one true God? Or have you just come because you always come every Sunday? Have you just come because you've grown up in it? There is evidence to be investigated, and very quickly I want to just touch on some of these so that you can go back and maybe do some study on your own if you've never looked at this evidence for the existence of God that we have even outside the Bible. Where's the first point of evidence I want to describe? Well, just about the fact that we have a beginning of the universe that we live in. It's a scientifically agreed upon fact that this universe that we currently live in had a beginning. 
Why does that give us at least questions or evidence to maybe wrestle with that there could be a God out there? Well, for something as grand as this universe to be in existence that we live in and for us to know that it actually had a starting point means that someone or something, there was some agent that had to bring that start into existence. That's not enough for you. What about the fact of the design of nature, the fine-tuning that we have in the universe that we live in? Not only the fact that how did this whole universe get started, well, what about the fact that the way that we live and the precise elements that we need for humanity to exist are so perfectly tuned that if you were to change one element to just zero point, 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 an inch, decimal, we wouldn't even be able to breathe. We wouldn't even be able to just exist. The fine-tuning of the universe is another thing that points to, wow, there could be, it must be, we could at least explore the fact there had to be an even a greater someone or something out there to bring those things into the right temperature, the right fine-tuning for us to live. What about morality? You know, the reason why our world and we as a people can cry out at the events that have just happened in North America and the events that are continually and more increasingly happening around the world and say, this is wrong. There has to be value and dignity for human life. We can't just go and kill each other when we disagree, when we come from different backgrounds. The thing that rises up in us saying, there must be someone who fights for justice, someone has to say, this is wrong, this has to be an end to that, comes from a deep human hunger for an absolute moral law giver. Someone who can say there is an ultimate right, there is an ultimate wrong, you've stepped outside of us, this must end. But for the Christian and those looking into why Jesus claimed that he is that God, when there's things even outside of the Christian faith that point to the existence of some God, where we go the step forward to say we trust that Jesus claimed that he's the way and he's the truth about God, our greatest evidence comes in the existence of a historical record of Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you, if you've never looked into that, do that. You have an opportunity here at this church. Alpha is about to start up. The first couple weeks of Alpha does just that. They look through who is Jesus. Why did he die? They look at the facts behind his life, his birth, his death, his teaching, the prophecies that came about his life years before them and how he fulfilled every single one. You can read his teachings, you can look at his miracles, you can look at the historical record. There's even things this interesting in the historical record that we find outside of just artifacts and um, names in kind of Pontius Pilate that are quoted in Jewish records and Roman records, but we see things in science. You know how there's an eclipse happening tomorrow? I hope you got your glasses. If not, don't try to get some. Apparently they're all fake, right? Well, there is a guy called Thallus who was a Greek writer, and he was writing about the history of the Greeks from the Trojan War up to his time. He was writing in 52, Common Era. And he said, look, I don't know why all of these Christians are trying to talk about this darkness that covered the planet when Jesus died. Why is this important? He's not a Christian. He's writing about the history of the Greeks, and he references something we have in our Bible, Right? He goes, they're all trying to say something divine and cosmic happened when the crucifixion of Jesus Christ happened, but actually it was just an eclipse. 
Eclipses were a big deal even back thousands of years ago. Well, we don't have the survival of those writings, of that history of um, the Greek uh, wars and things, but we do have a writer in the second late century that talked, uh, his name is Julius Africanus, and he references, you know how today academic writers will reference other sources? He references the source that Thallus writes about, and he says, I still think Thallus is wrong. I don't think you can describe away what happened upon the crucifixion of Jesus Christ just as an eclipse because they were celebrating Passover. And where the moon is with Passover is not the right timing with the stars and with the rotation of the planet for it to have been an eclipse. And if all of that is boring you to death, you're going, what does that have to do with how can there be one way to God? We have got things in history, in science, in different places, in um, archaeology that we can look up that makes us go, hey, as a Christian, I don't just have to say, well, someone chopped off my head and sold my brain and I sang a song and now I'm a Christian. No, we can say, I'm sure that Jesus is the only way, not because just the fact that my life has been changed as we have seen in different stories today, but the fact that I've investigated his claims Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. He claimed to be eternal. Jesus did miracles that talked and showed that he could be, and he was God breaking in. And possibly the greatest miracle of all was he was the one who went to the cross. He was the one who said, the good news is I am God who loves you, who has come to you. I do not just stand far off and hope that Christians or people that would come to get to know me in history would somehow find their way back to God. I have come to show you not only that God is real, but that God loves you, that God cares about you, that he doesn't want you to be lost, that he doesn't want you to be confused. And he went the distance on the cross and he sacrificed his very life. Once again, we have a historical record for that. And then he was able to make the claim true that he was not only the way to God because he was God himself, not only that is a truth that we can research and that can be investigated and that we can be sure of, but he can claim that he is the life. Why? Because he is the only one who has ever conquered the grave. In the same chapter in John 14, where he makes this famous claim, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, further on in verse 19, he says, you're not going to see me after a little while, but guess what? Because I live, you will live. We can be sure as Christians and confident that Jesus is the only way to God and God himself because he gave us the evidence that he was more than just a good man, more than just a prophet, more than just a teacher because he lived and he died, but more than that, he rose from the grave. Have you investigated the evidence about the empty tomb? Did you know the historians all agree upon the facts that the New Testament tells us that Jesus Christ was crucified, the way that the Bible talks about, that he did actually die, and that he did three days later, at the very least, have a vanishing of the body? Now, I won't go as far to tell you, and historians around the world that are just secular historians will not say, well, of course he rose from the dead. But there's evidence out there. And the burden of guilt is on people who have any other explanation as what would happen. Because we have eyewitness testimonies that saw Jesus. We have the evidence of the fact that all of his followers gave their very lives for a truth that if it was just a made-up lie, why would they go to the grave with it? 
And the fact that even today, thousands of years later, if it was just one cult that was made up, there's been many other people who have died that have claimed big things across eternity that we're still celebrating, singing, and telling this message. Jesus makes the claim on the way, the truth, and the life. And it is a claim that for the Christian, we can trust. Why? Because it's not just a set of ideas. It's not just an experience. It's not just more rules about life. It's a truth that is intensely personal, one that is found and confirmed and authenticated in the historical existence and the moral, moral character of God that Jesus Christ shows. In other words, if you're a Christian today, our faith is not a blind or arrogant acceptance of ideas. It's a confident decision to trust a real person. The faith of the Christian is not a blind or arrogant acceptance of ideas. It's a confident decision to trust a real person that we can and have come to know. But what about everybody else? This brings us to the root of the main objection that people, and maybe we might even have at times with the Christian faith. For many of us who have worked through flawed assumptions about exclusivity or arrogance, as I've tried to this morning, these answers still might leave some serious doubt about the character and nature of a God who seems to, to leave such a narrow path to himself. At the start of this chapter that Jesus makes this famous claim, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. What does that mean for us today? I believe God, Jesus, might be leaning in even to us this morning saying, don't let your hearts be troubled about everybody else. You see, part of us, when we ask this question, when we say, but is it fair that Jesus would be the only way? We don't seem to be able to get our minds around how people who were raised either centuries before us or in completely different cultures, how will they ever know? How will they ever hear? Doesn't God care about them? I'd like to humbly ask this morning, when we ask this question, it's okay to ask. We should always give voice to questions. Christianity can stand up to our biggest questions, but potentially we are asking with this thought that maybe we care a little bit more about the world than God himself does. Do you actually think that we care more about people in the past or people around the world than the God who created them, who calls them his children, who loves them? You see, Christianity not only recognizes the importance and the reality of the human hunger and desire for God, but it explains it. It doesn't just dismiss it and say, well, who cares about the others? What do I mean by that? The evidence of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that I've just gone into tells a beautiful story. What is that story? It's the story of the one true God. And he's a God of love. And he's the author of life. And the Bible tells us that all of history as we know it has been marked with imprints and evidence of this author of life. And this explains the creation of so many different religions. We shouldn't be worried or fearful about them. It explains the fact that um, human history has had a hunger to know this God, this author of life that has been secretly whispering in nature to us throughout all of time. 
So the creation of many different religions shows humanity's hunger for God and our attempts to get to this God. But the beautiful good news of the Christian message is that the author wrote himself in to the story of human life. Why? To make himself known, to clear up any confusion, to weave together all of the different strings and points and marks and hints that different cultures across different time had said, I, I believe there's evidence for God. I have a hunger for eternity. I see the need for morality. I want to know beauty. I want to know justice. The author cared so much about his characters in the story of life that he said, I'm not going to leave them blind and groping towards me. I'll write myself in to the very story of human life, to clear up any confusions. This gives us the confidence and security as Christians to say, we know the author of life. We can believe we have come to know him. And it should give us the mercy and the heart as we come to know other people or we rub up against in our culture that's getting more and more mixed because we can travel everywhere, people that come from different backgrounds and different religions. We should take their different religions seriously. We shouldn't dismiss them or disrespect them or fear them. We should view them just as I believe the author of life views them as people who are hungry and attempting to get to know God. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He says, if you're a Christian, you're free to think that all other religions contain at least some hint of truth. Christianity does differ from other religions, he goes on to say. Just as as in arithmetic or in math, there is only one right answer to a sum and all other answers are wrong. So I don't want you to get confused by what C.S. Lewis says. He says, look, as a Christian, you can look at all of these other religions, just like I just said, and see beauty, see truth, see that hunger for God. But just like in math, there's only one right answer to a problem. But he goes on to say something beautiful. He goes on to say, but some of the wrong answers are much nearer being right than others. What does he mean by that? I think it's a challenge for those of us who maybe are completely confident and sure that Jesus is the only way. A challenge and a call for us to have mercy and love and care and passion for the rest of our worlds who are struggling with this. What if we started to view those of different religions and backgrounds, not as enemies or threats, but as hungry people who are very, very close to the right answer? My daughter has started third grade this week. She's already terrified about multiplication, right? What do you think her teacher is going to get on better with if when she gets an answer wrong with her multiplication tables and she goes down, no, it's completely wrong. How come you didn't get it? Haven't you been studying? When will you memorize those things? That's not really going to help Sophia get there. But if she leans down to Sophia and says, oh, my goodness, look, you were so close. You were only one, one number away. Can I show you how to do it differently the next time? What do you think that's going to do for Sophia's heart? There's only one right answer, but some of them are so close. We need to lean in and show them, look, you have this hunger for truth because there is a real truth. Let me show you the evidence that points to the fact that Jesus is that truth. The Bible puts it this way in 2 Peter 3, 9. 
The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. He's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. I say this this morning for that cry in some of our hearts going, what about everybody else? God isn't slow. He's patient. Just because others might seem very far off, he's close to them. He's pursuing them. His heart is that none should perish. We need to ask for God to give us his heart for people when we see differences. And as Christians, we obviously will continue to cling to and defend the biblical truth that Jesus is the only way to God. But we can also passionately trust that based on God's great love and desire for humanity, that there are as many different ways to Jesus as people on this earth. So we cling to and defend that Jesus is the only way to God, but we have to believe because of his heart for people that there's many different ways to Jesus as people on earth. What do I mean by that? Let me tell you in a story before I close. I worked with a guy in Oxford when I was a pastor at a church there for a while. He was on staff, and it was such a privilege to be a pastor on staff with him because he came from a completely different culture. So he wasn't born a Christian. He was raised in Africa, and he was born into the Muslim faith. And not only was he born into it, but he was trained basically in um, Muslim theology. He was an imam, so a top imam, a top pastor in the Muslim faith. And he described himself as a modern-day Saul. He would actually go out, find secret believers, and persecute them even kill some of them when they were not followers of Islam. Well, one day, one season during Ramadan, that's their time of fasting, where Muslims take time during all the daylight hours, and they don't eat or drink, and they cry out for Allah to make himself known. He'd been fasting, and he was asking for Allah to make himself known. And in that time of Ramadan, Jesus himself appeared to him. He was so shook by this experience that he went out and he sought out a group of hidden believers. They knew who he was. He was famous for what he did. So he kind of laughs in retrospect that they tried to act like they weren't Christians because <laughs> they were a little bit afraid that that was the end of their life. And he kept pursuing them, kept saying, no, I'm not making anything up. Jesus has appeared to me. Show me. Show me how to get to him. Fast forward, he had to be smuggled out of the country. That is how he ended up in England under a new name on staff with me in that church. Jesus is pursuing the hearts of people. He is the only way to God because he is God himself. But when we ask the question, what about everybody else? Aren't we actually pointing our finger at the God who made all of humanity? The God in the scripture verse that most of us know very familiar, who loved the world so much that he sent his son, do we actually believe that he doesn't care about them? That he isn't doing everything possible, has always been doing everything possible, will always do everything possible to seek and to save the lost, the last, the least, the forgotten? We can look at Jesus' life, how he did that even in his few years on earth, and trust the fact that he is seeking those people, even if in our minds it seems like they are too far from a different culture or a different period. And if that story is a little bit too far out for you, what about in the words of the Apostle Paul? In Acts chapter 17, Paul put it this way. 
talking about God. He said he made all the nations, or in other words, all people in every nation. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. God did this, why? So that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. I love this scripture verse. It's giving us confidence in our heart that we can claim and stand up and say, yes, Jesus is the only way, but it's not exclusive and it's not arrogant and it doesn't leave out you if you live next to me and you've never heard about Jesus or the person all the way across the earth or the person that came hundreds of years before us. Why? Because God marked out their times in life, their places on the map, and he did it. Why? Not by accident, but because he is the grand weaver. He is the designer. He he has put thought into it and he put every single one of us across all of history in exactly the right location in time and in geography why so we could find him best because he knows us because he cares for us because he knows what would be the best possible circumstances for us to get to say yes to him and the beauty of the message is it's not even about us finding him he came to us he finds us but what about you this morning? The truth of the matter is when we ask this question or when someone asks me this question, how could there be only one way to God? That's not really fair. What about people who haven't heard? The truth of the message is someone who asks that question, they're not ones who haven't heard. And this morning, I hope that you have heard some evidence that has given you greater confidence to be able to trust that when we say Jesus is the only way as Christians, it's not the only exclusive religion. All religions are born from exclusion. It's not arrogant. Why? Because Jesus is saying, well, the only way to know God is, is me because I'm God. Uh, but I've come to you to make it easier. I've left marks in history for you to investigate. And I'm here today through the power of my word inviting you again. Do you want to know me? I'm seeking after you. The Son of Man came to seek and to save those who were lost. He's seeking you this morning. You are not ones who have not heard. And I want to encourage you. Maybe something about trusting whether you have been excluded from God. Whether maybe you're not good enough. Whether maybe if God could forget about the rest of the world because you believed that before today, he might forget about you one day. Maybe you just needed to hear this evidence and this testimony that God came to clear up any confusion, not only about his existence, but about his character. He showed through the man, Jesus Christ, that he's real, that he's good, that he loves like no other, and that he offers himself and forgiveness to every single person. But just like Peter, my husband, saying, well, you don't actually know me unless you say yes to me, unless you're introduced to me. I would like to give everyone here and everyone listening the opportunity to be introduced to this real living God who's offering himself again today. And as I do that, I'm just going to give a moment for you to pray with me. I'm going to say three things in this prayer that are really simple that I try to teach my daughter. Sorry, please, and thank you. Basically going to say sorry for trying to find God on our own and judging him on our own terms. We're going to say please forgive us for thinking that we could get to you any other way or that you didn't love us as much as you said and the evidence on the cross. Thank you that you died for us. 
If you want to make that personal, as I pray, why don't you bow your head and make that personal in your heart today? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for coming. Thank you that you're real. Thank you for sending Jesus to show us that you're really there and that you love us and to clear up any confusion about you. We're sorry that we have judged you based on our own understanding of whether you actually cared for us or the rest of the world. We're sorry that we've tried to create our own ways of getting to you and ended up in a mess and ended up silencing each other or ourselves when they didn't make sense. Please forgive us. Come in. Wash us. Make us clean. We want to know you. We accept you for all that you are. And thank you that you always say yes. Thank you that you will fill us with confidence. You will change us from the inside out and that because you live, we can live also. In your precious name we pray, Jesus, amen. Thank you so much for listening. If that has been the first time or the first time in a long time, let someone know today or come in the back and ask me some questions afterwards. God bless you.